You need to embrace capitalism. It is this hope which is the lever of progress. My favorite Fed. To keep one's reactions warm and true. They attack us because we're over there. Is to have found the secret of perpetual youth. Man, you're too pretty to be a libertarian. And perpetual youth is salvation. Salutations. That's Agriculture King. You're listening to a boy named Sue. That's Mr. C to you, a.k.a. Phil Gibson. Once again, we are live on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. And I'm joined by my, the lizard king of Bitcoin himself, Uncle Jim Morrison. What is up, Uncle Jim? How are you doing today? What's happening? Back again. Back, Back again. again. Let's do it to it. We do have some roofers on the roof making noise and shit. We got banana bread in the oven right now so we might hear some noises we got a cat who's hiding so she might uh she might be noisy who knows but um let's just kick it so thanks for tuning in last time oh before we get going just full disclosure unlike the federal reserve system uh, full disclosure for us let's get into our sponsors so big shout out and thank you to bitbox at shift crypto bitbox 02 you learn anything from this series of going through the creature of Jekyll Island money in that bank account of yours, not actually your money, but what is your money? What can be your money is Bitcoin, except when it's on an exchange. So don't do that and go get yourself a, a God, what, what's the thing called? A, um, a Harbor wallet from Chip Crypto. Bitbox. Signing device. Oh, to a signing device. Call it that. I like calling it a quill. I think, <laughs> I think we should do that. But um, whatever you want to call it, just go get one, get 5% off too with Bitcoin Made Simple. All caps, no spaces. If you want, you can probably just put it in all as one word and not capitalize it, whatever you're fine. But yeah, uh, ship crypto. And also, full disclosure, uh, shout out to Movies Plus, led by the man, the myth, the legend himself, Corey Tusek, who is the, the brainchild behind the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network and Podcast. And big shout outs uh, by popular demand. And by popular demand, I mean myself. There is The Forecaster, a great documentary on Martin Armstrong and how he got completely fucked by the feds and his uh, algorithmic, uh, basically, prediction computer system that basically predicted like crashes in capital flight and they basically fucked him and got him like in a, a, a dozen years of prison because he wouldn't give it up so i'm really ha- very happy that um, we're getting some pretty serious content on that platform because it's just going to be this platform where you know think of netflix but not cucked pretty much so go check that out as well and without further ado Let's just get into it. So, again, we're covering chapter two of the book review of The Creature from Jekyll Island. Got to a lot of uh, listens to that. So, uh, obviously, we're, we're doing something right here. And a lot of people, not enough people know exactly how this shit works. And so, we're going to put in the hard work so you don't have to. And the, cha- the name of this chapter is, the name of the game is Bailout. So, spoiler it is. <laughs> and basically us as the taxpayers or the clubs in the world, 
are basically paying for the bad behavior of the central banking system or the Federal Reserve system with non-tax money, uh, the hidden tax of inflation. Because again, they print it out of nothing. So let's just jump into that. So let's let's just understand that this monetary system is just based on events that are really just well-established rules that the politicians and bankers follow rigidly, as uh, the author uh, likes to say, no cat, no, you can't go out, sorry. Fucking he likes dog to, say, he likes to say no cat. No. He likes to say no cat, no, that's what I mean. No cat. Stand by. Thank no you. cat. Why can't you just be behave? Be behave, be behave. Behave, bitch. Um, what was I saying? So basically, they just follow, just follow strict, rigid rules that they know how to play, and people in the world don't know how to play and the fact is that um, to understand how all this shit works, it's that the banks uh, are, all the money that the banking system has created is really through, out of nothing, through an elaborate, not so elaborate process uh, of making loans. So here's how this shit really works. So the banks are lenders and they make money off giving loans, which are given to their customers or borrowers with money that they literally create out of nothing and again, it's not really out of nothing. It's just credit. But yeah, it's printed out of essentially nothing. So these loans are assets because they earn interest by generating, uh, that's how they generate their profit. And the bank's depo- the bank deposits, which is in your case, your money, are liabilities because your money is just sitting there. It's just not generating any profit or anything. It's just sitting there. It doesn't do squat for the banks. And however, the banks hold value in those said liabilities because at the same time, they are there to, um, the, the banks use those liabilities or your money that's in there to cover their own losses. So basically it's like they steal your money that you have sitting there and supposedly secure, uh, that supposedly is being secured in a bank account with them to cover their asses. Basically when they lend that money out, and uh, there's no, uh, the, the money's not paid back. They basically kind of like use your money, sort of like a bail-in to cover their asses. So essentially banks don't want you to pay back your loan if you take a loan out with them because that's how they make their bread and butter. They make well, money off the interest that you pay them. It's kind of like proof of indebtedness. Right, <laughs> they don't make, follow. they're not making any money off of you repaying the principal yeah. on it, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's the perpetual debt cycle, which I think is a in, name yeah. of the uh, a section in in this chapter. But they depend on you staying in debt forever. So this proof of indebtedness is their proof of profit, or their profit again is the interest, or as Tom Luongo <laughs> likes to say, the vig, which is like a mafia like mob term. But a bank's favorite customer is uh, anyone that keeps staying in debt, which the the best customer in that case would be like a country because there's no record of a country really ever paying back their debt ever in history. And countries and large corporations are the, are the ones that take out the largest amounts, which means more vig for the banks. And so basically to prevent defaults, banks just roll over that debt to the next year. And that way the banks keep getting paid their interest. And if that fails, then banks just reschedule or like refinance that loan, meaning the borrower gets a uh, change up in the loan. So deposits 
aren't actually uh, play payable on demand. Uh, they should rather be called uh, time deposits, uh, not demand deposits. So uh, they just reschedule. The borrower gets more cash, very, very high time preference fiat mindset, like more cash for spending. And essentially, it gets them further into debt. And they don't feel it immediately or even on a month-to-month basis because their payment's slower. So again, just refinance. Yeah, it's uh, the extend and pretend. Yeah. Yeah, extend and pretend. Mm-hmm. Uh, kick the can down the road as our yeah. government does. So uh, going back to like a default loan, uh, if a loan defaults, therefore the, the costs that the bank uh, receive are little of tangible value. It just shows up on the ledger as a reduction in assets without any corresponding uh, reduction in liabilities. So, you know, asterisk here, depositors' money remains a liability. Again, some of this is going to be redundant, but I think it's very important to say this again. Depositors' money remains a liability on the bank's balance sheet, which means that the banks are obligated to pay them their money when requested, quote unquote, again, on demand, which becomes a burden for that bank when they don't have the customer's money because they loaned up. Again, the system incentivizes these banks and Jim's gonna to cover this later, but basically to, as I mentioned in the last chapter, to loan up. Everyone's incentivized to act irresponsibly. Well, really the large banks, because they're the ones that get the bailout eventually as small banks, competitors in the free market get fucked. So here's, Let's identify the problem, defaults, and then the solution. And again, redundancy, but redundancy is important in the subject matter. So for a default, if the bank has bad loans and they exceed the size of the assets, the banks become technically insolvent and they have to close their doors. And so the first rule of survival here is avoid writing off large bad loans. And if it's possible, to at least continue receiving interest payments. And again, that's done through rolling over the debt, rescheduling, refinancing. And so these endangered loans are rolled over and increased in size. And this provides the borrower with money to continue paying interest plus fresh new funds for new spending because of that's basically how in a fiat Kansas society, everything keeps going. More easy money and credit spending and everything's gravy until it's not. So a little like, you know, asterisk hyphen, um, customer gets a new loan, more easy money for upfront spending and uh, a longer term with lower interest rates to make it easier to eventually pay back that loan, which again, paying back the loan is never the goal because otherwise the bank stops making money off the sucker or the borrower from interest payments. And the basic problem is not ever solved. It's just postponed and made it worse ultimately when the hens come to roost. So What's the banking cartel's actual solution? Have the federal government step in and have guaranteed payment of the loan if the borrower defaults or, you know, if it goes Essentially, to yeah. They become the co-signer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll have Jim like take that over as well eventually. So how does this happen? Protect, protect the public play. And this is just basically somehow the banks have to convince Congress, kind of like a, a lot team lobbyists essentially, Right. They got to convince yep. Congress that um, if you don't bail out this bank that the majority of the country depends on, because, you know, echoes are too big to fail might uh, sneak back into your ears, then the public's going to be screwed. So yep. you need to uh, step in. 
and the burden of this loan is eventually shifted to uh, from the bank's ledger to the taxpayer and not with our taxes. Again, it's just we feel it eventually through the hidden tax of inflation. So what is the last resort? And again, these are just high, these last points kind of high level overview. And Jim's going to just like do the solid deep dive here. But the last resort is, or I guess the second to last resort is going to the FDIC. So if all fails, the bank is, and the bank's forced to be insolvent, they use the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, pay off the depositors. And the FDIC is not actually insurance because the presence of moral hazard is at play. And this goes back to tweaking incentives to act irresponsibly and not be punished for that irresponsible behavior. So this moral hazard makes the thing that supposedly uh, FGIC is protecting against much more likely to happen. And so a portion of the FGIC funds are derived from assessments against the banks, which maybe Jim can open up a little bit, but ultimately they're just paid by the depositors themselves. And so the ultimate end game then if that fails is Fed bailout. And so when these funds run out, the balance is provided by the Fed or the Federal Reserve System with new freshly created money, whether that comes from treasuries or whatever. And so this just basically floods the economy. That's where we eventually feel the inflation. So Jim, why don't you uh, take the wheel? Start here. Take the wheel with the beautiful Jesus beard of yours with... um, uh, let's see here. Where did I tell you to pick it up? Let's talk it out here. Well, you just gave a whole overview, basically, of every the whole chapter, I guess, here. So, yeah. Um, protecting the public. Um, let's see. I think maybe there we wanted to start. Um, um, yeah, I think you kind of, like you said, you know, the, eventually the day of reckoning comes, you know, where uh, the borrower can, borrower can never, you know, realizes they can never repay the capital. And they just like refuse to pay any interest on it at all. Right. Um, so this is time for the final maneuver. Right. Um, so this is, so I guess the banks can absorb the losses, right. Of, um, from these bad loans, like to multinational corporations, like Phil said, and foreign governments, but uh, it's not, you know, like that's not according to the rules. Right. So um, where did I, where do I want to start here? Um Pick it up from the co-signer because when I was reading this, like with the FDIC, yeah, or, or no, excuse me, with the government, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, where did I the guaranteed, uh, one second, yeah, I had it here somewhere, yeah, yeah, so they become the, the co-signer on the loan, so like, so then losses are finally, so the losses will then be lifted from the bank's ledger, right, and placed on the backs of the American taxpayer, taxpayer, in essence, um, so, um, where was I at here? Yeah. So once that happens though, how do they get the money back then? Right. So the money now begins to move into the banks through complex systems and federal agencies and stuff like that in turn, international agencies, um, and direct subsidies. Um, so basically what these mechanisms, what these agencies and stuff are doing is acting as a mechanism to extract payments from the American people, right. And channel them back to the, to the deadbeat borrowers who then send them to the banks right to service their loans um so it's a it's like a very uh convoluted uh system and how how they 
how they set it up, how they want it to work, where it funnels all the money back to them, essentially. Right. Um, and that's the way that, you know, the Federal Reserve. Here, let's let's start from the beginning a little bit, kind of. The banks, knowing that they are going to go under or whatever or bankrupt, said, hey, federal or um, government, we need you since we are so big, you know, or whatever, and the American people need us, we need you to co-sign or say that you will pick up the loan or whatever if uh, said borrower goes under or cannot repay the loan, right? And that is essentially they become the co-signer. And what they do then is saying, we will be the lender of last resort and basically push everything to the American people. And that's, like I said, how, like that's how they repay and have that and how that happens. Um, and the American people don't even understand that. They don't even understand what's going on really, but they think it's like, oh, we need this corporation. We need this bank to actually survive or do anything. So it's okay. And, you know, that's, you know, that's how it is. Well, we're going to have to just get through it this time. Like there might be some inflation, so be it. And like, that's how it's been forever. Um, As opposed to like your local credit union, like no one's going to give a shit, shit about that. Sure. That's a little bit, you, you know, better place to bank at, you know, they recommend banking there because it's a little more personal um and yeah so let's see where do we want to go there then that's the guaranteed like like get in a little bit about just in general how the bank would compensate their losses either through profits or like stockholder equity yeah i think because i i didn't really consider that because like just getting into this stuff i didn't think of oh yeah well because like a large bank is probably public and you know has shares and people are invested in them and it's kind of like akin to basically like we were DMing, DMing back and forth to each other and how this is basically the cartel, the banking cartel of people that mega at Jekyll Island were basically like the Ethereum foundation bag holders and, yeah. and how basically they're, they're pumping their bags and they have the voting rights. They have the most stake and they are, you know, depending on the fed bailout, and they're able to sell their stock first before the, you know, the public retailer plebs get screwed. Sure, and yeah. so they basically cover their own asses before anyone else. So it's kind of like, I mean, right. th- I guess in that scenario, that's when the banks would see a loss because, you know, the shareholders are selling off their their stocks, right? Can you just kind of open it up and maybe like differentiate? A well, little? If yeah, so I think how we were... Hang on a second. I got to turn these notifications off. This is fucking annoying. Walton, Jesus Christ. Like, sorry, hold on. <laughs> um, do not disturb the godsend. Shit. Huh? I can't figure it out. Anyways, do not disturb the godsend. Yeah. Um. So, fuck, where were we again? Oh, my God. Compensating the loss. Like a bank has a decision to either compensate yeah. the loss yeah so the um, we'll be talking about their profits or stakeholder equity so the accounting and accounting equation can you hear me shit yeah. yeah so the accounting equation like i said assets equal liabilities plus stockholders equity like as i was explaining the other day so if these banks have so they're putting so you go to them you borrow money from them right um they take your money and that is a liability right then they take your money and they lend it out to somebody else, and that becomes an asset to them, right? So it's actually a bookkeeping uh, magic kind of thing, a ledger, um, if you will, ledger bookkeeping um, smoke and mirrors in a way, because they're taking your money, right, and then lending it out, and that's becoming an asset then, right? So when that borrower cannot 
repay their loan, the bank either has to on one end, right? So since that is a liability to them and the borrower does not have any assets or collateral to, to actually make up for that or whatever, then the bank has to make up for that uh, liability somehow. How are they going to do that? Either with profits from that year that they make from basically other interest, because that's the only revenue bank to basically has, or from fees, um, or from their stockholders' equity. And why is it? Because we need to balance the accounting equation, like I said, which is assets equals liabilities plus stockholders' equity. Um, so that's what they have to do. And they don't like to do that, obviously, like we said. They don't, they don't want to dip into their capital, the shareholders' capital that they put up to start this, this, this cartel, um, nor do they want to take from their profits that they made this year. Sure, they can take a hit a little bit here and there, um, they can all, but then, like we said, um, they're backed or backed or they're co-signed by the federal government, which says, hey, it's okay. Then they say, oh, go ahead, more money or credit, whatever it may be. And then they just, you know, extend and pretend, like I said. So in that, you can kind of see that, you know, there's some bookkeeping magic going on here in alchemy kind of in a way, because they're just actually it basically is all accounting magic, really. They're, they're on a ledger system. They're basically, you know, writing assets and liabilities into existence uh, or taking and moving here and here without any sort of backup or not even back, but like it's not <laughs> any substance, real substance behind it. It's literally, you know, accounting um, smoke and mirrors, magic, whatever you want to call it, uh, alchemy. Um, so yeah yeah um, and i mean ahead. yeah go ahead oh no i was just wondering if you want to like open up a little bit about how you know a bank can really be quite prosperous in yes. just insolvency. being insolvent yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that's i mean and that's kind of how i was saying like i was saying it's just these mere entries on the ledger that are just you know it's yeah. creative bookkeeping like it's, it's like, yeah, when I found out, like, like when I first was reading about this and everything, I'm like, what the hell? And then like, when I found Bitcoin, I kind of tied the two because I'm, you know, I'm in accounting or whatever. And I've done this for my, like, majority of my life, whatever. Um, when, in the, when I found out Bitcoin was like an immutable ledger, nobody can fuck with. I'm just like, whoa, like that was one of the first things I'm like, holy shit, because I know I understand the system now and how fuck, you know, screwed it is. And then you're telling me like you can have a ledger that nobody's going to mess with and it can't be changed. I'm like, okay, this is something, right? And that was one of the first things that kind of got me interested in diving deeper down that rabbit hole. But um, in terms, you know, of the Federal Reserve System, it's just like, whatever, let's, let's make any entry we want, um, you know? And then I guess when I guess the problem arises, like I said, when the depositor comes back and wants their money out and they don't have it or whatever. Um, but so let's see, what else do I want to talk about here? Um, oh, like this, like an, this is an example I want to talk about too. Um, like a hat check, you know, when you go, you go to a, 
I don't know, whatever, go to a dance, some ball, a ball, whatever. And you're wearing a hat or whatever, or a coat check, right? You go to the coat check and you hand it to the coat check person. You get your ticket thing and you expect, you know, when you go back and get your coat, that is going to be there and they're going to give it to you and that they didn't lend it out to somebody else. Right. Um, so, you know, like we expect all the hats and the coats to remain there. And at the time that we go there to get them back, um, but on the other hand, if you think about the bank and you take that same example, they're lending out your hats and your coats. So and when you do go get your coat, it's not there. Um, and like you said earlier, that that they should be calling them time deposits, right? You know, not demand deposits because a demand deposit is, just, let's say, everybody goes to the bank and demands their money now. Do they have it? Do they have 100% back, you know, everybody's money? And no, and they don't, obviously. We know that. So we're saying we should call them time deposits because when will I get these? What time am I going to get, you know, my deposit that I gave to you guys <laughs> when I, when you're calling them demand and I should be getting them on demand. Right. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's scary kind of like getting, not scary, but it's eye opening and interesting getting into this and seeing like, all the accounting magic going on behind the scenes. It's yeah, it's crazy. Um, I like to think on a Bitcoin standard, we're all wearing hats again, or is that too fiat -y? What do you think? What do you mean? Wearing like, hats? Like hat check, you know, like, oh. like fancy hats. I get you. Yeah, yeah. On a Bitcoin standard, do we all like value uh, quality hats again? Or is that too frivolous and fiat? Um personal preference i think <laughs> i mean i'd wear one you know i'd wear one i mean why did that stop i mean you would always wear um, like a, a hat with with your suit and whatnot like a top hat yeah the times just the times maybe i don't know i guess what do you wear a top hat i mean yeah hmm I'd or wear canes one. canes well i don't know it's more pimp-esque i guess no good point good points but, all around really yeah quality but um no it's just it, it really is like magic and at least on bitcoin layer one at like the mining level the ledger level the node level like you cannot change that it's literally like trying to like laser out gold cinder blocks out of like the cyberspace ledger <laughs> you gotta prove it, it. you gotta prove the like work it is yeah you gotta prove the work if you want to fuck it up uh, you know you want yeah. 51 percent of tag you want to rework whatever you want to do prove it right <laughs> you got to show me the proof you got to undo all of this proof of work for the past 13 years and yeah good luck right um which i wanted to talk about actually um yeah like the fdic i think too because yeah. that kind of like plays into it you know like um yeah open up uh, open that up a bit like what is the i mean it was basically you know federal deposit insurance company uh corporation so they're based corporation whatever they're basically uh, yeah guaranteeing every insured deposit will be paid back regardless of the financial position of the bank that you're depositing your money into um so, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's usually described as an insurance fund that, that um, 
but that's very like deceptive. Okay. That's not, they're yeah. set up. Why as isn't an it actually fund. an insurance fund? Because they're fun, because in essence, the depositors of the American people are basically actually funding it through either uh, banking fees that they will increase if they need to. And um, 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 what was I going to say? Um, oh, excuse me. Moral hazard. That was, yeah, I think you brought that up earlier. Moral hazard. Like, that's the, actually the, you know, <clears throat> what an underwriter would say um, insurance is, you know, if there is any moral hazard, um, then, you know, in that situation, you know, the policyholder is little incentive to, you know, like avoid, um, or to say avoid or prevent, you know, um, what was it? Yeah, that which is being insured against. So like, if, <laughs> so like when moral hazard is present, I think I had it here. Yeah. When more hazard is present, it's normal for people to become more careless. And then the likelihood increases that um, whatever they're being insured on or being insured against would actually happen. Right. So um, let's see, where's that example I had here? Um, where'd it go? Yeah. So an example of a government program forcing everyone to pay an equal amount. This is great uh, to fund and protect them from expense of parking fines. So, so, so like, like every, you know, like, this is great. Um, so it's, it's a certain absurd proposition, right? Like they're going to make everybody, um, they're going to start a program and force everyone to pay an equal amount to into this fund to protect them from the expense of parking fines. So if we're paying money to protect us from getting parking tickets, right? then what just about everybody is basically soon going to be getting parking tickets right and then two <laughs> excuse me since there's there now would be so many of the parking tickets the taxes to pay those uh tickets would greatly exceed the previous cost of paying without the so-called protection so like you would just be like screw it i'm just gonna get a bunch of parking tickets because me funding it is actually exceeding me actually getting the ticket if that makes sense right um, so you're, you, so it's like, you're depositing your money too into the bank. And then you're also, you're also paying for the insurance on it as well. When they're saying that they set this FDIC insured company up for the borrower, um, in the case that this bank, you know, isn't in good financial standing and they go bankrupt that, you know, if they're not, then they'll be able to pick up the tab and you, you'll be fine. Or, you know, you'll never lose that money that you deposited, which in essence is yeah. a joke. You're paying so. double as a depositor in like Ex fees and you're paying again yes. as a taxpayer. Exactly. And so uh, something that made me think here, so where is it? So depositors are told their insured accounts are protected in the event their bank should become insolvent. So to pay for this protection, each bank is assessed is specified percentage of total deposits. This is your friendly reminder to rate, subscribe, review. They say the best things, they come in threes, like rate, subscribe, review. If you rate it five stars, we can raise the bar. Subscribe so you can stay in tune. And don't forget at the very end to leave a nice review. Something like I love you, Sue. Rate, subscribe, review, please. Thank you. Not your keys, not your coin. If you're in Bitcoin, 
and you haven't heard this, you're hearing it now. The value proposition of Bitcoin is that you are your own bank. You take complete self-custody of this thing and you don't need to trust anyone but yourself. As Uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility. And I'm pretty sure that all you Bitcoiner dudes and ladies out there can put on your grown-up pants and take self-custody. Honestly, one of the best options is the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto. Because it's just sleek and voluptuous and lovely. And it's user-friendly. And that's what we want out of Bitcoin. We want to be able to store Bitcoin, access it, use it in a way that a toddler can. And that's pretty much what you're getting from the Bitbox O2. You've got your cold storage on a hardware device. And you can sleep soundly at night knowing that you're your own bank and no one else can come and steal your Bitcoin. And that's all possible with Ship Crypto's Bitbox O2. So if you want to put on your big boy and big girl pants and be a good Bitcoiner and actually own your money as opposed to putting it on an exchange or a bank, let's just call them for what they are, a bank, where they're rehypothecating that Bitcoin. And again, this isn't your Bitcoin. If you put it on there, it's theirs. And so it's not your money they're losing, it's their money they're losing because they're trying to use that Bitcoin to make more money. Take the spread, the VIG, if you will, and honestly, they go tits up because they're bad actors and they don't care about you and your wealth because when your Bitcoin's with them, it's no longer yours. So if you want to bypass all of that, go to shiftcrypto.ch and snag yourself a Bitbox O2. Use the promo code Bitcoin made simple, all caps, no spaces for 5% off. A Bitbox O2 from shiftcrypto.ch because self-custody is self-sovereignty. Get that Bitcoin in the right hands. Your hands. This goes back to loaning up. It incentivizes banks to be reckless and give out bad loans so they get more interest. But it's okay because we got the nice FDIC here to bail us all out. Yeah, exactly. So it's guaranteed you're going to get fucked and lose your money. The yes is like this. The FDIC increases the likelihood that what is being insured against will actually happen. So it is not. It's not a solution to the problem. It's like part it's of the parts problem. of the problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So and I, I I should have quoted this from chapter one last time, but it's not a matter of like um, the, the banking the the banks failing the system. The system failed the banks. Of course. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So well, that's how the, the system was inherently set up to to well fail kind of in a way. Yeah, um, yeah it's a debt based system. So yeah, what were you saying? Oh, just like what would real insurance look like? Also, what would that look like on a Bitcoin standard too? Real insurance, you would you would be hit. So well, if it was well, if it was set up through a bank, so they're saying. In this case, the FDIC um, is saying that they would be, they're funding it, right? But if we were on a Bitcoin standard, like I guess that entity who said they would be funding insurance would actually be funding it, right? Or um, 
I don't really necessarily think that insurance, I mean, it, you, you would, so if there's a loss, you're going to, there would be a loss taken and you're going to take the hit necessarily on a hard money standard, whatever it may be. Right. Um, I think that's what would kind of happen. Um, but, um, hang on. I had something on this too. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, it'd be Harry, voluntary, Harry, first of all. That's what I was going to say. It'd be, yeah, it, it, it'd be a blessing. That's funny. Um, right. Uh, yes, yeah, so it would be voluntary. Totally voluntary. That's the thing. And I guess that's where I was just kind of getting at, um, where I was saying, I don't really know if insurance would be needed. Well, it, maybe it would for some people or whatever, but you're right. It'd be voluntary in, like, in which like it's geared its rates to the actual risk. Like the rates would be set to the actual risk that somebody assessed or whatever that person was undergoing. Right. Um, so here, I think I had it here. Thanks with solid loans on their books would be able to obtain protection for their depositors. Right. So, and They'd you would have go because they would be incentivized to actually act responsibly. Yes. So the depositors would, to loan up and not have any money. Right. And the depositors reserve. would, right. And the depositors would instantly know, you know, that with, yeah, yeah. Without need to investigate any further that this bank can, you know, do that and can back it up and has insurance to whatever back up whatever I deposit, right? Um, and then, like, what you know, so banks that fail to meet those minimum standards obviously um, would have no customers. Like we said, it's 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 pretty simple, like a hard money standard. Those that are honest and show their proof of work and actually, you know, um, say what they're going to do and meet their con contractual agreements. If they, you know, those are the ones that'll stand in business and practice. The other, the ones that lie about or, you know, go against what they say they're going to do, obviously will fail on a hard money standard like that, because basically everything is voluntary and everything's out in the open for people to see in a, in a way. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And it just echoes back to the wildcat banking era. Yeah. Banks failing and yeah, banks not failing. So it just sounds like a market signal. And again, like a true, like free open market, everything will be voluntary. And so right. just incentives like realign. And, you know, if, if you have banks fail, maybe it would kind of be like a game theoretical thing where it forces other banks like, oh, well, we're open for business. And by the way, you know, look at our reserves here. And so it would just yeah. kind of like by default set this standard, this like new practice of this is how banking should be right so it yep. it like the signals are just like so much clearer and it just sucks we don't see that and really anything not just banking i mean health insurance yep. insurance in general yep no yeah it's uh yeah like a voluntary private insurance program would work better yeah 100 percent just to add on to this from the book FDIC is not protection. It's not insurance in any sense of the word. It mer oh, yeah. is merely a political scheme to bail out the most influential members of the banking cartel, like we mentioned before, when they get into financial difficulty. And as we already seen, the first line of defense in this scheme is to have large defaulted loans restored to life by a congressional pledge of tax dollars. Yep. That should fail, and the bank can no longer conceal its insolvency through creative bookkeeping, there it is. There it is again. It is almost certain that anxious depositors will soon line up to withdraw their money, which the bank does not have. Yep. The second line of defense, therefore, is to have the FDIC step in 
and make those payments for them. And of course, bankers don't want this to happen because it's a last resort. Yep. And if the bank's rescued in this fashion, then management's fired. It's kind of like the Mitt Romney, like private equity kind of scheme, right? You go in, gut it out. And we'll probably get into this in the next episode where banks fail and they get bought out by other banks. But essentially what happens here is if a bank's rescued, then management's fired. And then what's left over of the business is, again, absorbed by another bank. And if the value of the stock is going to plummet, opportunity for y'all to short. But that's just (laughs) an effect of uh, the small stockholders again. And then those with uh, controlling interest, again, the cartel members, because this is why this was set up. Like, they're not the last ones holding the bags. They create the bags. Protect uh, their capital. They want yeah, to protect their exactly. wealth. Yeah. And so basically, those with uh, the controlling interest and those in management know, like, this is insider trading. They know long in advance exactly. of the pe- pending catastrophe that's about to happen. Yep. And they're able to just like bulk their shares, kind of like the George Soros thing, where he just like saw the pound crash and like bought it all up. And, uh, you know, this is insider trading, trading one-on-one. Like this is Pelosi's playbook. Pelosi's the people that create the playbook. problem are the ones that, that benefit from the problem. Because they create the rules of the game, which is bailout. Which is bailout. Yeah. And yeah. did we already cover how the FDIC can't actually be adequately funded yet? Um, did we? Maybe, maybe not. Um, basically, uh, they'll never they'll never be adequately funded. They'll never have enough money to cover its potential liability, right? Um, if that amount, I guess what is what was I saying? If that amount, yeah, were in existence, like it, it would be able, it would be um held at the banks, right? If they actually had that amount of money. Um, so but they basically operate um um what is that? They basically um um, 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 oh yeah they typically hold yeah well, that was the numbers uh a dollar 20 to every hundred dollars that's what they typically hold or on their covered deposits so that's what you the fdic see, is I holding guess. yeah I mean, you, now yeah. the requirement zero right no right well right yeah this is typical that's typically at the time of writing yeah um that's at the time of writing but um yeah so it's like 99 percent. it's yeah exactly um but yeah i don't know where we're gonna go with that i mean it's basically just emphasizing that this is how they prosper which is in well it's it's basically like here we're setting up this this fund this agency whatever to make it look like you guys are protected in essence which is just another thing that we as the bankers or the cartel can set up and use as another tool to uh, mitigate our losses from any borrower not being able to repay or service their loan. You know, that's what it is. It's just another tool or, you know, agency that they're, they set up to, yeah, you know, help them mitigate their losses and shift the, um, Lot the losses from the borrower not making repaying their or servicing their uh, debt to the taxpayer, but yeah. yeah, because they have the full faith and credit of the United States government, 
Yep. Splendor so, uh, last resort. Right. Yeah. The cosigner. They're, they're the cosigner. They, you know, they have, they, the cartel went to the, <clears throat> to the government, to the Congress and said, Hey, like, you know, like we said earlier, um, we're a big bank. People need us. We're a big corporation. We're, you know, we're big airlines. <laughs> uh, people need us, whatever. We can't go under, you know, okay, we'll co-sign. We'll back everything. We'll be the lender of last resort for the borrowers. And I mentioned this earlier, but like this is when the Fed issues more treasury bonds, which just it, that's the money that they create out of nothing because by the Fed's like demand, like this is fiat by decree. They're like, OK, we're going to issue these treasuries, uh, Treasury Department, you sell those. And this is what gonna, what the new money is going to be. They're going to issue more debt. And uh, that's basically the full faith and credit of the United States government that you can right. depend yeah. that they're going to be able to do that because they can because yeah. everyone is basically forced to uh, pay off all all their debts to them and everyone believes this shit but again it's important don't fucking bite me what are you doing oh that's where the treats that's where i hid the treats okay cool i'm like why the fuck you biting my foot oh, i was checking my pockets earlier there oh my god um, um so <laughs> remember and this is in the book italicized so the public picked up the portion of these ious which are the basically, I guess, treasuries, because when you issue a treasury, it's a bond. You buy a bond, a promise of like, hey, you're going to buy some debt, but don't worry. We're the Fed going to pay you back because you can trust the government. And again, this is how a government survives, rolling over the debt. And I will get into like the little tangent about that later, like an epiphany moment that I uh, shared with you the other day. But basically, the public pick up, picks up the portion of these IOUs, the bonds, and then the Fed buys the rest. So if, if there is a monetary crisis and the size of that loan is you know, big enough, then the Fed's going to pick up the entire issue. So the Fed has no money either. Okay. So its response is creating money out of nothing uh, with... Um, uh, within amount of brand new money equal to the IOUs and through magic of central banking, FDIC is fully funded. So this new money just gets sent to all the banks and just used to pay off their depositors. Yep. And uh, that's essentially how the FDIC basically works. FDIC goes to the Fed. And um, yeah. So thank God for the Fed, right? That's basically yeah. what the full faith and credit of the United States government is. Everyone gets paid back. No one loses their money. So isn't everything hunky-dory? The doors stay open. No, yeah. it's actually not because people start blaming, you know, <laughs> their grocery store for raising prices because eventually, as we are seeing to this day, quite evidently with a point whatever percent like CPI, um, Inflation happens and it yeah. hurts. And I think today we're, we're actually seeing the, the hens coming home to roost. So, yep. Yeah. You can, I mean, you just see where, uh, how that's funny you said that too, or not funny, but like it's a great point. You know, people start blaming, you know, their local grocery guy for raising prices or the, you know, the mechanic or the, you know, whatever it may be or, you know, for raising prices. But in essence, it's not their fault. You know, they have to do it. <laughs> because of this money printing when they're increasing the supply it's pretty simple supply and demand if you increase the supply of money 
your every dollar you hold or any whatever you're holding the money in, your purchasing power goes down, right? And that's that's what's happening here. <clears throat> yeah, and people, and that's why I guess they call it you know the hidden tax of or hidden tax of inflation, I guess. But you know, it's if you really dig into it, it's plain and clear right in front of your eyes, and it's sad to see <clears throat> you know people blaming you know, the people that they're buying, you know, goods and services from, because it's in essence, you know, really it's not their fault, but yep. Yeah. Don't, and don't again, that's supply. Yeah. You know, that into Bitcoin if, then. <laughs> if people dig into it, which they don't. And I love how the book takes that example of the Phil Donahue interview. Someone in the crowd stand, stands up. I forget which crisis it was, but he's oh, yes. like, yep. Oh no. It was the, um, uh, SNL, uh, wait, uh, savings and loan crisis, I think. Yep. But basically, he's like, why can't the government pay for the funds instead of the taxpayers? And everybody's uh, like, yeah, why can't the government pay? Right? Yeah. Yeah, they, they do. And you do as well. <laughs> yeah, but it just you do too. Shows the, the, the ignorance here. Yep. yep. So, yeah. Uh, kind of going back to like a, um, a macro way to think about this. Where was my note here that I put here? Uh, I don't know where to go. You do. This is a great time to uh, talk about our sponsor again, the Bitbox O2 by Shift Crypto. Uh, if you haven't pissed your pants yet in this episode, then. Um, probably should and then once you clean that up you should go buy a new bitbox a hardware wallet to put your real money bitcoin on it and keep it safe and secure keep your secret keep it safe as uh gandalf likes to say and use the promo code bitcoin made simple to get five percent off are you sneezing or are you sneezing so yeah bitcoin made simple five percent off get your bitbox lock up your coins Put it in the box. But um, let's see here. I mean, it, it's just it's silly how it's basically cool how governments kind of get away with just extending and pretending. I mean, everyone mm-hmm. does, but like they're the ones that benefit the most. And so I basically was just kind of putting two and two together. Like, so the U.S. isn't in ways like both the lender and the borrower of last resort, or is like the real lender of last resort. In this case, is the real lender last resort the American taxpayers if they're the ones borrowing? I mean, if they're the ones buying the debt. Uh, I, I just kind of thought that was interesting. But when when the U.S. kind of borrows from the lender, the American taxpayer or the investor, it does this again by issuing treasuries, also known as monetizing the debt. That's how they fund all this shit. By decree, like, okay, we're going to do this and this is, the treasury is going to be this much and whatever. And then people, I think before Bitcoin, people looked at bonds the way we kind of think of Bitcoin. It's putting our hard-earned capital into something that's safe and secure. And in legacy finance, people always talk about how bonds were like a risk-free investment, right? Because again, it goes back to the full faith and credit of the United the States government. Right. But when the U.S. government serves the interest on that debt or pays out the coupon, that means that the U.S. 
again, like pays the coupons to the treasuries and, and the investors, but it's also like, let's, I mean, if the U.S. wasn't in debt, then there would be no interest to pay. And so it, it defeats like the idea, the purpose of this investment vehicle to a sense. So it just kind of like emphasizes how much of a facade that instrument is because like, US, yeah. Treasuries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, not, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, depending on when, right. When we were talking about them, like, you know, 50 years ago or whatever. And, and then what kind of a monetary policy or money, money standard, monetary standard, were we on then? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, cause you go back, you know, what, 20, 30, 40 years ago, like you said, you can earn whatever percent on a bond and it was good. And you knew that it would be backed, you know, by the government or whatever, that it's a risk-free investment that, you know, you should be investing in those. And then as through time, we've seen what's happened. Right. And, yeah. but, but what people don't understand as well is like that, how, that's how the system was set up. It's a fractional reserve system, which means it's a debt-based system, which means that it's in essence going to zero. It is set up like that. It is set up to inflate the supply of the currency that you're, that the people are using. Like that is literally how the system was set up. So uh, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, that's how it's set up. So this is supposed to happen. Like, how can you not see this sometimes yeah. in a way, right? But like, yeah. So I, I found my notes. I'm just going to pull on this autistic tangent string and then we can wrap it up. But again, like, I think it's really funny in the legacy system, like bonds replaced Bitcoin. I mean, I guess gold like was the substitute for Bitcoin, but bonds were like the second option. And again, this is kind of like even on like a quasi gold standard federal, uh, central banks, how to shit on gold. Um, and they still do. And they have been accumulating. But like that side, the value proposition to an investor to buy a, a government bond is that it's, it's risk free. So the investor buys the treasury bond in the first place to store value of said invested money by expecting the interest to cover and hedge the amount of inflation that should occur. And so high coupons or the payout rates means high inflation. And so therefore governments that want these coupons, the rates, yields, whatever, they want them to be as low as possible. Otherwise, if they get too high, then people start to question whether or not the government can actually pay out that coupon. And so if they do, which they can by printing money out of nothing, then that implies that there is heavy inflation in the economy. And so another thing to consider well, if the government can actually pay out that interest, call it like you know five percent, then what does that mean to the value of the underlying currency itself? So it's not exactly risk-free, is it? No. And when America rolls over its debt, it's fine and it's necessary. Because if the US paid all of its debt, then there'd be no more treasuries to buy. Because that would mean America's debt would be paid off. But there'd they no, are no dependent on being in debt, just like there'd the rest no. of the banking system. Yeah, it's like you, you, you know what I mean. Like if they, if everybody paid back all the debts, if all the debts were paid back, there wouldn't be any more money in existence. Yeah. So. And like from the top, lent out over hundred percent. Yeah, like and from like the, the, yeah. the top down, it's like like the incentives of the Federal Reserve System create this contagion where that network they create 
lies on large scale entities being in debt over in order for stakeholders to remain profitable and powerful. Yep. And it, what, what entity yeah. do you want to say, keep powerful more than like the, the government, the Fed, the banking system in the U.S.? And participants yep. are incentivized to profit off that function of the broken system. And this is, we didn't touch on this, but banks could buy out their debtors, but they'd lose money from the stupid. interest. Right. And yep. what power and control they have over them. And we'll get into this in later chapters, but this is why they, I guess, like don't buy out the third world countries because uh, they have soft power influence over them, but eventually they kind of do, but well, uh, yeah, they, but they lose, but basically if they bought out their debtors, they lose money from the interest and the shareholders of the banks would mm-hmm. suffer major loss as we covered, but right. it's just crazy how this is the standard. Yeah. There's no interest it, for them to do it. Right. Like we're yeah. going to take the, you know, you take over the country, you just capture them by loaning them, whatever, like you're loaning them a lot of whatever money, um, under the assumption or facade that, you know, we're helping this country grow because they're a third world country or we're bringing economic growth to this country by loaning them this as the World Bank, as the IMF, blah, 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 which is, you know, also intermingled with the United States and whatever big countries. Um, and knowing that like these third world countries are not going to be able to pay it back at all, you know, and that's how they, you know, they capture them and then they can, they can, funnel and do whatever they want and funnel any money through them and use them as another like uh mediary or whatever to extract money or flush money through them and bring it back to and um the shareholders like it's it's kind of sick honestly if you think about it um it's a racket yeah a racket racket yeah it is but yeah awesome yeah good shit yeah i think we covered everything inside it out and i don't know bail out bail out yeah name of the game is bail out all right well i think we can we can bail on this so yeah what's um what do we got uh chapter three oh chapters of the public protector yeah so we're gonna be opening up Case by case examples. And I was like jumping ahead and listening to this chapter. And it really mm. just does solidify how the system works. And when you actually have examples, you really do get to visualize, oh, okay. So these banks are lending to this industry or corporation and uh, it's making them really profitable. And so they have to go lobby Congress and the Fed for the bailout. And mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it, it's really insane. There's a lot of examples. I think it would be excessive to cover all of them in one episode. So I was thinking of maybe divvying it up just sure. to, to make it fun. Not to milk this series, but to milk the series. Because I think the more <laughs> the more time and attention we can get, the more... Oh yeah, the more it's going to be engraved in people's minds, so they, they can some... like recognize it when they hear a story. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe this gives them like you know inside or maybe outside trading information to make moves on, or just it's pattern recognition too. No, yeah, right? so like, For example, no, it's, you know? I was yeah, I was just looking at the example, like kind of going through the chapters, and yeah, there's some like Penn Central. There's some good examples that 
um, that really show how a lot of these big corporations and companies are nationalized and have been nationalized through the years since, you know, central yeah. banking has happened. So yeah, that's a, which is a the good. goal. The ultimate goal of course, yep. in this book yep. is world socialism. Nationalization. Yep. Yeah. Which well, I think to... is debatable because of my, uh, Luangan thesis that I've subscribed to. Well, that, I mean, that brings the rules of the game may have changed then, right? So I think that can be, you know, so what we're doing now is we're reviewing this book specifically, which was written, you know, and what was it? Latest was 94, right? Um, This is the the update. This is a second look. The rules may have changed, right? So, I mean, yeah, I think that obviously that big governments and central banks are obviously trying to nationalize um, corporations, stuff like that, or whatever, to what, you know, protect the cartel that they hold, protect, you know, they don't want competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see a saying- bifurcation in the cartel if it means that, I mean, we covered this in chapter one too, right. where yeah. the participants in the cartel were already ready, like staunch competitors and at odds with each other. Yeah. And they came other, together right? to make this compromise. Like, hey, well, we like our power. We want to, you know, keep things hunky-dory around the world. Right. And that works out great until there's something that's threatening their power. Right. Yeah. And they'll do anything they can to keep it, you know, manipulation, uh, change the narrative or whatever it may be. I mean, these guys run their lives on a PL solely. That's a profit and loss. They don't necessarily have any empathy or consideration or care for anybody. So it's... Um, it's a profit and loss lifestyle that they live. It's kind of scary. There are people too. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Stay this tuned. Is a, this was a good rip. People, if you like what you heard, make sure you rate, subscribe, and review. You can find this on the Bitcoin Made Simple podcast network. Just search Bitcoin Made Simple and whatever podcatcher that you utilize. And, um, rate it five stars leave a nice review tell us if you liked it tell us if you hated it and uh get yourself a bitbox if you haven't already again that's bitbox uh, the the bitbox 02 and uh, that is a uh, shift crypto.ch friends in, in in switzerland god bless them i hope they're doing okay under the uh devotion tyranny that, that they're being forced to to deal with so uh god bless y'all and thanks for um Thanks for doing Satoshi's work and making making these these great gadgets that help people be self-sovereign with their wealth and to uh, avoid the mandrake mechanism that we also get into, but essentially everything that makes the chicanery of this bit possible. So anyway, Jim, uh, any last words from you? Where can people find you? Um, Nowhere. Or don't find Jim. Just kidding. Um, Basically Twitter. That's it. Um, But no, I mean, yeah, this is good. Next week's going to be good. We'll split it up, you know, chapter three, get some good examples. Um, just uh, keep stacking sats. Don't over, overextend yourself. And um, yeah, all you boomers yeah. out there, you might be listening. Uh, if you, if you, you should be the wiser, especially if you're in Bitcoin, sir or madam. So uh, no comment. Um, no, no comment. Thanks, but yeah, thanks. we're seeing the hens come home to roost. Don't be in denial. You saw this coming. Don't do stupid shit. Live within your means. It's going to get tough. 
Suck it now's up. Now's the time. Now's Fry the time harder. to go to work. Now's the time to go to work. But yeah, it is well, up to boomers, you. Jim, so some it is of them up are to you. Hired. I, hey, I'm, and I I'm say worried. some because boomers I'm have to about work it. under these conditions too. Sure, I know. I, I, yeah. Never mind. Um, but yeah. Till next time. Till next time. I'm uh, Phil Gibson at Mr. Sue MRPSEU. Find me on Twitter and Movies Plus. Go check it out. Good stuff happening over there. And see you next time and 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 remember unlike this book to own your failure god knows our so-called leaders do not (laughs) word peace out starting our audios later toodles road